We are in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. But if you would join me in prayer, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the gospel. Thankful for the gospel that, that goes forth in the form of evangelism, Lord. Enabling people, even to the utmost parts of the world, to know you. But we thank you for the bow of those arrows, Lord, and that's sound doctrine. To know the gospel, to know who you are, to know who we are, to know what you've called us to in your word. To have our feet firmly planted in sound doctrine is absolutely vital to the church and to the health of our church. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to each one of us this morning, teach us from your holy word. We pray that you're exalted. Thankful for the church in Ethiopia, Lord. The church that suffered so much over so many millenniums, Lord. And yet, they continue to, to grow and to shine brightly in that country. We pray that the fruit that came from Pastor Don's time there would be um, just continuing on and on. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think of things that are going on in the world, there are some things that are worth dying for. Think of what's been going on in the media just this last week. We had LeBron James come out and send a little message supporting China in the light of what's going on in Hong Kong and communism that's in China and some of the the independence that Hong Kong has had since 1997 when it was returned back to China. But uh, a message that kind of got shot out as far as being far more supportive of, of China than of Hong Kong. And, and we live in a culture where there, there's, there's times in, in which you'll hear things like, well, why does it even matter? Or a multi-multi-millionaire like LeBron James thinking, it's not that bad. Um, they should educate themselves a little bit more before they say things, is what LeBron James said. Think of of communism over the course of of the last century. The fruit of of communism, the fruit of of that kind of ideology has been the deaths of millions and millions of people. Even hundreds of millions of people. Not only that, but, but the torture of millions of people. There was a pastor by the name of Richard Warmbrand who lived in Romania for years. And, and uh, Richard, Pastor Richard Warmbrand um, was imprisoned for saying that, that communism wasn't compatible with, with Christianity. And as a result, was thrown into prison. Spent eight and a half years there at first. And in that time, he talked about how 
I spent three years, 12 feet underground in solitary confinement. Um, no light, no windows, no, no sound because it said that even the guards um, wore felt on the soles of their shoes to keep there from being any sound. And he talked about how he would stay awake at night, try sleeping during the day, and he would just prepare sermons as he sat there in that solitary confinement over those three years. 350 sermons that he was able to recall and put into a book called With God in Solitary Confinement. But he talked about how during that time, the beatings that would take place over that eight and a half years, starting in 1956, warned not to preach to the underground church there in communist Romania, arrested in, again in 1959, and then sentenced to 25 years. And we're told that he, that he was beaten and tortured, physical torture, mutilation, burning, being locked in an icebox, Talked about having the soles of his feet beaten until the flesh was torn off, and then the next day beaten again into to the bone. And he said that that the words were, were words were not able to be um, given to describe the pain that that he went through. He said that it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. Was his response. Think about that. Think about what, what he's saying. He said a man really believes not what he recites in a creed, but only the things he's ready to die for. He says, I've seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, and whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, praying with fervor for the communists. This is humanly inexplicable. It's a love of Christ, which was poured out in our hearts. A communist officer told a Christian he was beating, I am almighty, as you suppose your God can be. I can kill you. And the Christian answered, the power is all on my side. I can love you while you torture me to death. That was under communist Romania. A man by the name of Ceausescu took power in the late 60s, I think 1969. Stayed in power until 1989 when... when the communists revolt, or the people revolted against him, and had a a mock trial that took place at, that occurred at, in in December, and then a couple days later on Christmas Day, December twenty fifth of nineteen eighty nine, they took him and his wife and executed them by firing squad. The torture that people were under under communist. Romania was such that Christians and others were tortured and killed specifically for their faith. 
And yet today I saw a poll recently that said that 46 of the people, 46 percent of the people in Romania would vote today for Ceausescu. It's insane. Forgetting what took place, forgetting what occurred in the past. Comments that are made about China and not realizing that Christians today suffer greatly in China. Richard Rombrand started a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, which probably many of you are familiar with. But looking at the latest news from Voice of the Martyrs on China, it says this, churches closed and were demolished. House churches were raided. Pastors were handcuffed mid-service. Christians were arrested, interrogated, and imprisoned. Crosses were removed from church buildings. A new Chinese law has led to a widespread crackdown on Christians in provinces throughout the country. There's things that matter. There's things that we ought to care about. There's things that are worth dying for. When we think of this country that we live in, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The First Amendment there in the Bill of Rights, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances or a right, as the Second Amendment says, to bear arms, that it shall not be infringed. Now, these are things where we could look upon them and think, well, I'd be willing to give up my Second Amendment, right? Or, why does the First Amendment matter that much? And yet, if you're Richard Wormbrand and you were never tried fairly. You didn't have the right to assemble. You didn't have the freedom of speech. You didn't have the right to practice your religion. And instead, from a prison, you were tortured brutally. Spoonsfuls of salt shoved down your throat with no water given to you. Beaten to where you talk about the pain on your feet being unable to be described by words, all the way down to the bone. Having your wife imprisoned as well. And then being told after eight and a half years of this that we will release you, but you cannot ever preach the gospel again. He goes out immediately and preaches the gospel and is thrown back into prison. In a country like that, you think, how could 46% of the people want a leader like that back in? Or how could we look at circumstances like what takes place in China and think, communism isn't that bad. It's not that bad. There's things that are worth dying for that people have died for so that people like us could have our freedom. We look at our country and we think of 
the Declaration of Independence, or we think of the Bill of Rights, we think of our Constitution, and we look at these things, and we could take these things for granted and think that it's not worth dying for, but I'll tell you, there's those that have gone before us that would say it's absolutely worth dying for. It matters. Because these things are absolutely vital to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and to be able to practice our religion, to be able to worship God freely, it matters. It's worth dying for. We come to the sixth chapter, and we've been in the sixth chapter, but in verse 10 of the sixth chapter of Ephesians. And we find that in this chapter, as Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is coming to the, the end of this letter to this church and to us. In chapter 6, verse 10, he begins by saying the word, finally. Finally, my brethren. Finally, after, after all that I've said in the first five chapters and nine verses, throughout the entirety of this book, finally, he is, he is preparing them to hear that there are things that are worth fighting for. He's preparing them to, to, to tell them that there is an enemy that's there. There's principalities and there's powers. There's an enemy that's there that would love to destroy. There's an enemy that's there that would love to hurt us in terrible ways. He's preparing a, a church that has heard incredible doctrine and heard incredible teaching, specifically like in these last five chapters, to come to a place of, here's all that you know, but finally now, you need to understand that, that there is a battle that is going to take place. There's a battle. We talked briefly about the United States and the privileges that we have. And we have them. I, I recognize that as good as our country is, it does not compare to the kingdom of God and what God has done for us. Like you think of, is it worth fighting for freedom, life, liberty, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, freedom of religion, right to bear arms? Yeah, it's worth fighting for those things, absolutely. But then you think of the Christian life, and we're so prone to not want to think about the fact that we are in a battle. We have an enemy, and he is real. There's principalities and powers that are there that would love to destroy. An enemy that hates the things of God's kingdom, hates the things of God, hates the gospel, hates what Pastor Don is doing after 50-some years of serving as a past senior pastor and going to the uttermost parts of the world and proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, teaching. He hates these things. I went to China to train pastors, and we thought, let's go to a remote area up in the mountains. We will make it a retreat. We will be going on vacation because you need to go on vacation if you're going there. You can't just go as a pastor to train people. 
And so we gave funds to be able to rent some rooms out for local pastors to come into. And we had probably about 30 pastors that were there. And one of the pastors was in his, if I remember right, was it for sure at least the late 70s or early 80s. Leathery face, been through so much. The number of years he spent in prison were just incredible. And he, he had said that, I've shared this before, but I asked him, like, what was the food like that you ate? And his response was, I would never think of feeding my pigs what they fed me when I was in prison. He talked about the beatings. He talked about being left out in the rain, just squatting, like where he had to sit there. Couldn't sit down, but had to like squat there in the rain for hours and hours and hours. And here we are to train him and train the other pastors who were there. And we're at this hotel in the middle of the mountain, a mountainous area there in China. Same time that we're there, we see hundreds of police officers in uniform show up for their conference at the same hotel. This old man, his 80s, just scaled down three stories to get out of that hotel. So afraid to go back to prison. I looked at the area where he went down. I thought, I don't think I can make that. Scaled down three stories to get out of there, out of fear. Why there? Why at that hotel? Why hundreds of police officers there at this remote area? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have an enemy that hates the gospel. We have an enemy that would love to cause division in churches. We have an enemy that would love to defeat us personally. We have an enemy that would love to do whatever he could to cease the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of God's word. The unity that's there within the body. It's a battle that's there and it's a battle that's real. And it's a battle that we ought to know that we are in the midst of. And yet Satan would love to have it be where we just don't think about it very much. Battle that we're not really fighting or if we think about it, it's not really worth fighting for. And yet Paul finishes this letter by saying, finally, as a result of the things that I have said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Our focus this morning is going to be on what this verse means to us personally. Finally, my brethren, finally, Christians, finally, as a result of what I've said, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. And then he goes from there to talk about putting on the full armor of God and what that looks like. And that's what we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. But he brings us to a place of realizing there's a battle that's taking place. There's a battle. And how do we fight? Do we fight in fear? Or do we take God's word and proclaim it? Um, I took my son Jonathan to the, uh, the last preseason Laker game on Wednesday night. 
because it's a lot cheaper to go to a preseason game than it is to go to a real game. But all these guys played, and it happened to be Gay Pride Night there. I sat there, and we had awesome tickets right there by the court. And I watched all that took place with my little 12-year-old before the game, during the game, after the game. And the level of sin amongst these people who were there being honored and everybody else was so in your face and wicked. I can't begin to describe it. The way that they communicated all that was occurring. And Jonathan's sitting there just asking me like, I didn't know what, there's this many people that are like this? That think like this? And I said, well, son, you're, you're kind of like in like, like a hot spot right now as far as like, this is the way that this culture is. But yes, it goes further than this, but this is what's occurring in our society right now. And there was one guy that was there that goes to most all the Laker games and other NBA games who was, as I read about, um, a billionaire as far as his assets. And I watched him, just everybody, all the players, the people, everybody wanted to greet this guy. Everybody wanted to say hi to him. And yet you get to see in this man who turns 80 this year, just this deadness, this lostness, this living for the things of the world and loving the attention and loving all of these things. And so Jonathan and I talked about him on the way home. What does a prophet man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The guy had everything as far as money, Girls, attention, fame, everything that the world could offer. And yet, didn't know Christ at all. Woke up in the middle of the night, looked him up on Facebook. And then I sent him just this long message, this long email sharing the gospel with this guy. Jewish last name, so I went from there to just share the prophecies that were given, who Christ is. That I watched you, I sat a few feet behind you. What is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Here is the gospel. You're in the final chapters of your life, if not the last chapter. Here's the gospel. And just laid it out for him, ascended, and no reply yet. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> However, We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and there is just wickedness in this world. And yet there is someone who is so greater than he who is in this world. It's Christ. His word is so powerful that it can pierce a heart of a 79-year-old man that has just lived in the world and bring him to Christ. It can pierce the heart of others who are there that are just in the midst of just sin, just deep into sin, just like all of us were, right? 
and he pierced our hearts. We serve a God who is like that. We serve a God who can do that. We serve a God who is greater than anything in this world. And yet we are living in war. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because it's not going to be just peachy from the time that you become a believer. For the church in Ephesus, they're not going to read these things and hear these things and become Christian and just be like, so now we're just smooth sailing till we enter into glory. If that is our mentality, then we have missed it. Paul is describing for us, this is the gospel. This is who God is. This is what he has done. This is what the church ought to look like. This is what the family ought to look like. This is what your lives ought to look like. This is what God has accomplished for you. But now know that there is a battle that's taking place. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Brethren, it's going to be hard. Brethren, you're going into battle. Brethren, there's an enemy that wants to kill and to steal and to destroy. And it's real. And he hates us. And yet God is bigger than him. To bring a pastor to a point of, we made a deal. They said, if you preach, you'll be beat. We were happy to preach. They were happy to beat. So we were all happy. It's a radical way of thinking for someone who spent another four years in prison before he was allowed out because someone gave the government $10,000 to get him out. But over 12 years in prison happy to preach, and happy to be beat. Because there's something greater than any kind of pleasure that this world could offer. He knew that he had an enemy. He knew that it was Satan. He knew that they wanted to destroy him, and yet he knew that God is so much bigger. Proclaim the gospel. lived to be in his 90s, died in 2001, started Voice of the Martyrs, there to be an advocate for persecuted Christians all over the world till he died. There's warfare. It's real. We could close our eyes and pretend like it doesn't exist, but then there would be a lack of maturity that's there. And we position ourselves in a place where we will get plucked off. Made to where we become ineffective. If we're not listening to the counsel of God's word and what he calls us to. So finally, my brethren. Finally. Let's just look briefly at what that finally may be talking about. You look in the first chapters of Ephesians. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Think of some of the things that he's taught us in this book. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We'll just stop there for just a second there. Think of that passage and say, okay, so God has, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every one of them. Not only that, but he's chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he ever created this world, he sovereignly chose you under salvation. He knew you and he chose you according to his good pleasure. He did that, that you would be holy and without blame before him in love. And has he made you holy and without blame before him in love? Yes, absolutely he has. You'll never be seen as more holy than you are today if you are a believer in Christ. Even when you've been in heaven for a billion years, he sees you as holy now because you have the righteousness of Christ on your account. So he chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and without blame. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Again, like, as a result of this is what God has done for you, this is who he is, this is what he has made you to be, so be strong. As a result of this, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It goes from there having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This is just verses 3 through 6. You hear what Paul is saying here and what the Holy Spirit is saying here as far as he predestined you to be adopted into his family, to be brought into his family. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of His grace, He's made you accepted. He has made me accepted in the Beloved. Awesome to think about. What God has accomplished for us, what He has done for us, think about it. before the foundation of the world, predestined to ado- adoption, and there's nothing that anybody could do to stop that. Nothing that Satan could do. Nothing that his principalities and powers that were there could do. Nothing that any government leader could do. Not the most powerful man in this world or woman in this world could stop a God who chose you before the foundation of the world and predestined you to adoption. Can't do it. So as a result, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. From there, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he, had made, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. 
Did you just sense like the power of God in how he describes what he has done for us? He has made it so that you got purchased by his blood. Purchased. You get the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, according to grace that just abounds, that pours forth, that doesn't ever stop. So that he would gather all of us together. He is going to do this. He does this. So be strong in the Lord. You have an inheritance. In him also, verse 11, you've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Therefore, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You have an inheritance that's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. In verse 19, it says, he's praying for these different things, and, and one is, is that, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly, in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Now, when you go to the end of verse 10, and it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The same wording is being used here. When you think of the, therefore, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What kind of power are we talking about? Verse 19, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power. The same power that caused Christ to rise again from the dead. seated him at the right hand of the Father is the same power that God is calling us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, the kind of might that raises Christ from the dead, seats him at the right hand of the Father. This is the one that we are calling upon. This is the one who we are finding our strength in, is the one who is all-powerful, the one who causes Christ to rise again from the dead. That same phrase is also used in Isaiah. Turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Here in Isaiah, we see that the same words used. There in verse 25, it begins by saying, To whom will then you liken me, God says? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. And bring out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. 
Not one is missing. It's the same wording that's being used here in Isaiah that was being used in Ephesians 1 that is being used now in Ephesians 6. But when we think about the kind of power that we are looking for is a power in which we can look at the heavens, we can look at the stars, he calls them by name, and by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. He holds them up all together. Not one is missing. We, we, we don't even have the ability to know how many stars there are. I mean, every time we get a more powerful telescope that enables us to see further out there, we see that there's far more than we ever thought. But we're just scratching the surface as far as the number of stars in this universe, in the heavens. And yet he holds them all up by his power. There's not one of them that's missing. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of that kind of might. In the power of that kind of might, that kind of strength. This battle that we are to face is not one in which we face alone. It's one in which we depend upon Christ all the way through. You go through Ephesians and you see this is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what he does according to his good pleasure. This is what he's done from even the foundations of the earth. This is what he'll do with the inheritance that he's given you. It will continue. This is the way that he operates. This is what he's done within the church. He's given people gifts, all different kinds of gifts, and it's used to build up each other. This is what he has done. He has made us all one. There is unity that is here for us as believers because we are found in him. This is all that God has done. This is what he's done in the family, and this is what he's done in marriages, and this is what he's called us to as workers. This is what God's called us to as children. This is who God is, and this is what he has done. This is what he has made for us as Christians. He's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper. Gifted us with the blessed Holy Spirit that molds us, conforms us in the image of Christ. He'll finish the work he began in us. But there is someone who is coming to kill and to steal and to destroy. So Paul is saying, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The power of his might. Be strong in the Lord like that. This wonderful country that we live in. Over two million people in the military. As of at least a couple years ago, there were 13,000 762 aircraft, 2,296 fighter aircraft, 5,884 combat tanks, 450 different ships in the Navy, including 19 aircraft carriers. Now, that may not seem like that much to you, but to put it in perspective, at least when this was done, as of a couple years ago. China has one aircraft carrier. 
Russia has won. The superiority of our country as far as militarily is gigantic over everybody else. Precision of our weapons, what they do, radical. Stuff that, that, that our military is able to do, the strength within our military, huge. Confidence that's there as far as like people don't want us attacking them. They just don't. And our military gets stronger and stronger all the time. At least at this time in history. It's a good thing for us. But our confidence as Christians is in one who's far greater than any kind of military that the United States has. We serve one in whom there's not a bird that falls to the air or from the air apart from his will. We serve a God who controls all things. I read from Richard Wormbrand that he's talking about Martin Luther. And he said that that Luther, when he walked in the woods, he used to raise his hat to the birds and say, Good morning, theologians. You wake and sing, but I, old fool, no less than you, and worry over everything. Instead of simply trusting in the Heavenly Father's care. You theologians, little birds, you're so much smarter than me. You just trust Him. You wake up and you sing, I worry about everything. This old fool, Luther, we're talking about. Written volumes and volumes of books. This old fool, No, no less than you and worry over everything instead of simply trusting in the Heavenly Father's care. Brethren, be strong in the Lord. The power of His might. May we try to catch up with the birds of the air as theologians. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Call upon Him. We're about to go into a a time of studying the full armor of God and what that looks like. You will need it. I do too. There is a battle in which we are participating in. And we have a commander-in-chief who is as strong as he could possibly be. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray into Him now. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for what's taking place in the first chapters of Ephesians to bring us to the place of finally. We know who our God is. We know the strength of our God. We know what you've accomplished for us. We know how you've blessed us with the church and you've blessed us with the Holy Spirit and you've blessed us with doctrine. As Pastor Don said, it it is the bow, the bow that enables us to fire those arrows, Lord. Help us to have this kind of sound doctrine so that when we go out to fight against the enemy, it is based in one who is sure and right and we think properly. 
May we have zero confidence in the flesh, but may we have great confidence in our God. Oh, Lord Jesus, enable us to surpass the birds in the way that we think about you, the Almighty. May we become more and more like as we sang about before the preaching this morning. May we be like watchmen, more than watchmen in the morning. More than the guy who's out there in the dark hoping that no one attacks. May we wait for you, our God. May we just trust in you. May we depend upon you. May our fears be laid on your shoulders. And may we just long for you more than watchmen for the morning. May that be us. Be glorified now, Lord, through our praises unto you. May it come from hearts that delight in you, who love you, who adore you, who depend upon you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.